Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. Pastor Matt for leading us in worship today. Man, what great stuff. Hey guys, as we're going through the book of Acts, we see a lot of action happening with people giving up and letting God take completely over, trusting Him for that very scenario. I was thinking about this this week, how many of us find ourselves in a situation where it seems impossible, where it seems unpassable, where it seems hopeless, where it seems bleak, where it seems like there's no way out. And we begin to throw our hands up, but we throw them in the wrong direction. We throw them up and say, I quit, I can't do it, I can't make it, I'm not able. And uh, God says, uh, throw them up to me and I will be greater than, I will be more than anything that you could ever, ever ask, want, or think. Think about that for a moment. How many people find themselves really feeling overwhelmed with despair today? And when we realize that, that many times God is moving us to a place where we can get in the right spot, where He's trying to get us to the place where He can bless us. And uh, man, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've looked at this from several different perspectives. We've looked at it to the degree that God was uh, looking for someone uh, wanting to move uh, the church. As we go through the book of Acts, we've been looking at it like we were watching a play. And in between acts of the play, characters change, the settings change, the scenery changes. But the one thing that remained consistent throughout this whole book, as a matter of fact, especially up till today, is that God is greater than everything else that's going on. You know, when you think about that, it breaks my heart. I think about how we gather in the name of Jesus week in and week out. We go through the motions. We have great experiences, great entertainment, great worship, great preaching, great teaching, great projects. But yet, God's not greater than anything that we're doing. Because when we get to a place where God is greater than anything that we're doing, no one will have to tap you on the shoulder and say, God's in the house. You, you won't have to, if it's their first time ever to be there, they will know that God's in the house. And so you think about that, and we begin to realize, well, where have we gone wrong? What is different? What is happening? What are the things that are taking place? And uh, I believe one of the great things that is taking place is that we think in our hearts and our minds that suffering is not equated to sonship. And we walk through adversity and we begin to say, well, this is hard. Matter of fact, I've even led my life this way sometimes. If, if, if God's in it, it just all falls into place. If it's hard, then he must not be in it. But then I read the book of Acts. I mean, these guys gathered together, and uh, they went out, and man, everybody rejected them, but God moved. And then uh, they kept doing what they were doing, and God was adding to the church daily, and in that context, they had opposition. They went and was minding their own business, going to the house to pray, and man, they healed somebody, and now they're in trouble. They drug before the, the council all the influential people, and they detained them overnight, and, and then, uh, man, God's power continues to move. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. If God's in it, it doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but it means that nothing can stop it. It means that, yes, it may be difficult. Yes, you may have to walk through some adversity, but God is always moving. Now, a good chance to know when 
God's not in it is when you're walking through adversity and you feel like you're on an island by yourself. There's no nudging, there's no prompting, there's no moving of God's Spirit. And I believe today that we find ourselves in a situation where God is wanting to move. I want to just read this for you today, so if you have your Bible or your smart device, you'll turn it to Acts 17. I actually have a... I want to read it, it's kind of lengthy, but just bear with me because I, I try to see what we can leave out, but every verse has so much weight. So let's just read here in Acts uh, chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, Then the high priest rose up. Why? Because in verse 16 they were healing people. There was unclean spirits that people were being delivered from. People who were sick, people who were tormented were all being healed. And so in verse 17 it says, And so those who were with the sect of the Sadducees, and they were all filled with indignation. And they laid their hands on the apostles, and they put them in a common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, and they began to teach. But the high priest, who had them arrested, gathered together the council and the elders of the children of Israel, and they, he sent them to the prison where they were being detained. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. And then they returned and reported, and here's what they said. Indeed, we found the prison was shut. The guards were standing in place outside before the doors, but when we opened the doors, the cell was empty. There was nobody in there, and we don't understand it. The guards were in place, the doors were locked, everything was in order, but where are the prisoners? So in verse 24, it says, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, the chief priest, heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men that you put in prison are in our temple, and they're teaching. I want to talk about mess up a good plan. You lock some dudes up so they don't teach, and then they escape without you knowing it, and then they're right back in the place where you told them not to be, and they're teaching. And so the Bible says here, it says, uh, in verse 26, the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared that the priests would be the ones who would be stoned. Why? Because God was in the house. The Holy Spirit was moving. The power was in full display. And so they were scared that they would be the ones who were stoned if they tried to stop what God was doing. So it says, uh, when they brought them out, they set them before the council again. This is a familiar sight as we were going through these acts of the early apostles. And it says, they set them there, and uh, they, they said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach anymore? Look, you are filling Jerusalem. You are filling the streets of our city with this doctrine. And you intend to put this man's blood on our hands. Now, isn't it amazing how we want to change the narrative? 
Because this was the same man who just about 60 days, 90 days earlier had the audacity to say, well, what about Jesus? And they said these words, let his blood be on our hands, our children's hands, and our children's children's hands. But now, 90 days later, they want to change the narrative because now who? what are they fearful of? Well, we know. They're fearful of the power of God. They're fearful that they're going to be the ones that are going to be stoned by the people. And they say, man, you're, you're trying to make us guilty of this. And so then the story goes on. And they said, this is a familiar phrase that we've already heard many times. And so here's what they said. God, and so Peter, in verse 29, says to the other apostles, and they all answered, should we obey God rather than man? Then the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered, and you hung on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance, to give repentance to Israel and for forgiveness of sins. He did this for you, is what they're telling them. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. All right. So here's the, here's the scene. They're preaching. Things are happening. They arrest them. They put them in prison. They shut them up. An angel brings them out. They go back to get them. They're not there. They're in the temple doing what they were just arrested for doing. And they're like, what are you guys doing? Didn't we tell you not to do that? Didn't we tell you not to do this? And here you are doing it again. Now, verse 33 is a turning point. When they heard this, they were furious, filled with greater indignation, and they said, how must we kill them? We're going to kill them. We're sick of it. The only way we're going to stop this, the only way we're going to save our ministry, the only way we're going to save our position is to kill these old boys. Then, one in the council stood up, a Pharisee whose name Gamil, a teacher of the law, held in great respect by all the people, and he commanded the apostles to be put outside the room. All right. So now we see we need to have a family meeting. We got to get our act together. Huh? What are we going to do? We can't control these guys. Look, somebody just get them out of here. We're on the verge of being stoned ourselves. We're on the verge of losing everything we've been committed to. Do you realize these guys' whole life was invested in a system that was being done away with? They had been through all this training and all these degrees. They had all this influence and all this power. And now they're on the verge of losing it. They're like, Gamal said, get these guys out of here. We got bigger problems than these guys. So, here's what Gamal says. He said, men of Israel, be careful. Take heed of yourselves. What you intend to do regarding these men. You remember for some time ago, there was a guy named Thaddeus. And he rose up and he had a gathering of people unto himself. And you remember that he was slain. 
and all who followed him were scattered. Probably killed by these same guys. Now, you remember, after him came another man named Judas of Galilee. He rose up in the early days of the census, and he drew a great number of people away with him, and they were also dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, then nothing will come of it. But if it is of God, there is nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You will be fighting against God and not against them. And they all agreed with him, and they called the apostles together, and they beat them. They flogged them is what they've done. They flogged them with, the, with a whip, 39 lashes. I mean, they didn't just hit them a couple of times and say, you hold them, I'm going to hit them with my fist and knock the air out of them. No, no, they literally beat their body with these whips, 39 lashes. And so... He said, now what you do, don't, don't you go out there and talk anymore in the name of Jesus. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus. And they went daily in the temple, every house, and they did not cease to teach and preach the name of Jesus. For you see, my friends, they realize that nothing can stop a move of God. They realize that these men who were trained in the law and had went back to the Levitical system and went back all the way to Abraham, it drove them crazy because they, they was their, it was their family. They were Jews themselves. As we'll look at in the next chapter, they were saying things like, you remember Abraham and Jacob and Isaac, and we all have the same great-great-grandpa. But now we're on different teams, and we're against one another. They all come out of the same church. They all learn the same way. And they're basically looking at them and saying, you've been teaching us our whole life to wait on this moment. And now that this moment has come and it doesn't look like you think it should look, it doesn't feel like what you think it should feel like, it doesn't fit where you think it should fit, so you just want to kill everybody who has any part of it. Yet what we're doing is the very thing that you taught us to do. No one can stop a move of God. We go all the way back to Genesis 15 and we see the covenant with Abraham. We see that God made the Abrahamic covenant. I'm telling you, from Genesis to Revelations, it all goes back to this covenant that God made with Abraham. And He says, I'm going to keep this covenant. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk it out. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. I will be right here with you. You are the apple of my eye, Israel. For those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse you. For those who are for you, I will be for them. For those who are against you, I will be against them. You may think it's ironic that our nation is prospering. 
You may blame the Democrats for the prospering. You may blame the Republicans. You may give credit to whoever. But it could be, could it, I'm just saying as a Bible teacher, could it just be that we are in a place for the first time in about eight to ten years that we are now siding with God's people again and blessing God's people who are Israel again? I'm just saying, I mean, we have a world full of history that says those who put their hand against you, I will put my hand against them. Just a little side thought there. That's not my sermon on eschatology. But, I mean, I'm just saying, God is keeping a covenant. I mean, he kept his covenant with Abraham when they went into Egypt. They were not there a day less than he said they would be there. They were not there a day more than he said they would be there. He said, I will not forget you. I will remember you, and I will bring you out. When it goes to the book of Judges and Kings, God never left his children without a remnant, without a leader, without somebody whose heart was bent towards God. They may have made tons of mistakes. They may have reproduced multiple dysfunctions leaders but God but God always made a way then we go to the Babylonian Empire when we see Nebuchadnezzar came in with the Chaldean army and took over and brought them into captivity God said I will remember you and after the time has passed I'm coming for you and I am telling you today that that's exactly what he did and a woman brought into this world a little baby boy whose name was Cyrus who became the king of a greater army who rose up and let the children of God go back to the place of God for the people of God that he had prepared for his children just like God said he was going to do it. I'm telling you today, my friends, from beginning to end, nothing can stop a move of God. No dictator, no hero, no conquering army can destroy the word of God. You cannot stop it. And can I tell you something else? You cannot start it. Uh huh. You can't start a move of God when you want to. You can't wave your spiritual wand and say, God, show up. You can't go get some spiritual pixie dust and say, I'll pray over this and just let the move of God start. No, sir, no, ma'am. God does not pour out His Spirit in a vessel that's not ready to receive it. It's in His time, in His way, in His order. Are you picking up what I'm putting down today, church? I'm telling you, man can't start it. Man can't stop it. Nothing can stop a move of God. Man may slow it down in his own mind, but if you don't want to be part of what God's doing, he'll plow around you. He'll find somebody else. He'll look for another man. He'll look for another woman. He'll look for another way. When there seems to be no way, God says, I am the way. He will come out as the conquering hero, and we will walk in the wake of his victory. A thousand different things thousand different people, a thousand different ways in the Old Testament, and no one could stop it. Oh, it came close one time. There was a wicked queen in the book of Chronicles whose name was Athaliah. I'm telling you, they had destroyed the royal seed. She killed all the royal male children because she wanted to sit in the position of authority. And she thought she had won. She thought she had conquered. And she put herself as the woman in charge. But there was a little baby boy that the man of God took into his priestly chamber where no one dared to come. And he found a nursemaid. And he nursed that little baby boy back to health. And when he was eight years old, God put him on the 
throne and he began to lead God's people back. No man, no woman, no king, no religious group, no high priest, no pope, no president, nobody can stop a move of God. Are you hearing me today, church? Lift your eyes until the hills. Quit looking to Washington for your answers and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This week, all the eyes have been on the G7 summit. Oh my goodness, I hope these politicians can figure something out. This week, all of our eyes will be on the meeting between North Korea and the United States and say, I hope we can figure something out. I'm telling you today, you know what I'm praying for? Is that the same way the world is looking to the government for the solution, that they will hold the church accountable again and say, we are looking to you. We are not looking to our governor. We are not looking to our legislator. We're looking to you, church, and we're holding you accountable. We should be held accountable in the church for where we are as a nation. In the New Testament, they tried to stop it. But we know how that worked. They beat him. They did everything to Jesus. They killed him. But on the third day, that great getting up morning, Jesus came out. We see in the book of Action here that they detained him. That they whipped them, that they mocked them, they ridiculed them, but nothing could stop the move of God. They were so furious they wanted to kill them. But one man, one man that was against them, had enough spiritual insight, and he said, Boys, let it alone. Let it alone. If God's not in it, it'll die. But if God is in it, then who are we to fight against God? You remember there was a story about that with Pharaoh. Every time Moses would do something, he would call the magicians and astrologers and they would mock it. They would mimic it and do the same thing. But at one time they came to him and they couldn't repeat it. And those astrologers and magicians looked at Pharaoh and he said, Boss, that's the finger of God. Oh, my friends, today I want you to know what we need is the finger of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us. I'm telling you, He doesn't empower organizations. He empowers His children. The anointing comes to His children. The power comes to His children. The indwelling comes to His children. The filling of the Holy Spirit comes to His children. It doesn't come to things made with hands by men, but people who are the temple of God. So how then shall we live in this moment? Well, we should do like these disciples did. They just obeyed God. Whether He sent them a message in a Bible or sent them an angel to deliver them, when they said, the angel said, go back and preach, they didn't debate Him. They didn't say, now, Mr. Angel, now you know that's not the smartest decision because we were just arrested there yesterday. Now, don't you think we should maybe go to another city and try to start over? No. When the angel came in and when the guard was at the gate and the angel came in and brought them out without dynamite, without a military, when the angel of God brought the people of God from behind the locked doors. They obeyed God. My friends, today what we need more than anything is men and women who obey God. Who obey God. Are you hearing me today, church? Who will obey God? The Sanhedrin were jealous. One of the greatest things facing the Christian movement today is jealousy. People are against each other and not together. While they were in jail, the Lord showed up. The angel gives them some advice. The disciples obey it. Can I tell you something today? 
delayed obedience is still disobedience. I'm going to say that one again because I don't think it went over as well as some of the other stuff. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. What do you need to obey today? What's God speaking to you? We have to obey the Lord because nothing can stop a move of God. Oh, it may feel like you're losing. You may feel like you're in bondage. You may feel like you're in captivity. But I want you to know you're right in the place that God has prepared for this season. You see, the thing about it is the Lord knew that you couldn't live on the mountain. So he strategically picked out valleys for you to walk through so that you could grow. And we look at this, we realize that Gamal knew in reality there was nothing they could do to stop it if God was for it. Can I just tell you today, I think Gamal knew this was God. I mean, you may, you may want to not believe it, but I'm telling you, just because you don't believe something is not so doesn't mean it is not so, amen? And as Gamal was walking this out and feeling it and real, rationalizing with it, I believe that he knew, boys, there's something different about what's happening here. The flogging, all of these things, they came to him, and Gamal said, look, look, man, let these people go. Don't, don't resist them. Don't do these things. And so they said, we're going to beat them. And so they flogged them, and they, 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 they tormented them. They, they manipulated them over and over again. But what I want you to know today is that we are in a place where we need God. Gamal said something that was powerful. He said, if it's not of God, it will not last it will not make a difference why were they upset they were upset because they were filling the streets with a message of hope i'll just be perfectly candid with you today what breaks my heart more than anything is that about 12 years ago i came to alexandria for the first time on a temporary stay i had all my stuff in storage and i was waiting for god to lead me to the place that he wanted me to be And finally, after several months passed, God said, this is where I want you. And I said, Lord, this is not where I want to be. Lord, you don't need me here. Lord, this is the denominational apocalypse. Every denomination is headquartered in Alexandria. I got churches on every corner. Lord, you don't need me. And so I set out on a mission to prove to God that he didn't need me in Alexandria. So I didn't do, it wasn't pew research. So I was on a mission to prove to God that I was right and he was wrong. I really don't need to tell you anymore how that story ended. Huh? So I personally started calling churches, saying, how many do you run in worship? And they'd tell me, and I'd write it down. I'd call another one, they'd tell me, I'd write it down. When I got finished, I realized that within 10 minutes of where I'm standing, there was over 88,000 people that was unchurched. Didn't necessarily mean they were unchristian, but they were unchurched. Means they had given up on church, but not on God, or maybe they just never knew Him. I didn't need to bring my report to God. Because I heard him simply say, I told you so. What breaks my heart more than anything is that after all the sermons, after all the preaching, 
after all the campaigns, there's still about 80% of our population that is unchurched. What breaks my heart more than anything is getting churches to work together. The need is greater than any one church, guys. The need is greater than any one denomination. The need is greater. What your families are struggling with is greater than us, but it is not greater than our God. What breaks my heart is a pastor of this church, as a leader of this community, as a tip of the spear in this city for this ministry. What breaks my heart is I feel like we're not making a difference. Oh yes, we've seen great things happen. We've seen move of God's here. We've seen some miraculous things happen. We've seen people healed. We've seen God deliver folks. We've seen some captives set free. But our city is still in peril. Why is it? It's not because we don't have a lot of motion. It's not because we don't have a lot of activity. It's because we have a lot of stuff that is done in the strength of man and not in the power of God. Gamal said, if God's in it, you'll know it. If not, you'll know it. You'll know it. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. I don't understand it. Business understands it. Cults understand it. Business does not have a problem taking God's plan for multiplication and applying it to any product to make a whole lot of money. Amway, Amway was the first of the brain child of that. What is the biblical pattern for multiplication? Jesus said, I want you to go and reach one. And I want you to teach him to reach somebody else. And train him that he can reach somebody else. In 2 Timothy 2, we see it. He says, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach other men. Who will be able to teach other men who can teach other men. And we see four generations in 2 Timothy of multiplication. So you go and reach one who will reach one who will reach one. I mean, think about every great network marketing idea. They say you just need to get two people. You just need to get three people and help them get two. And people are making money hand over fist. Yet we in the bride of Christ, who God gave that original plan to, we are unwilling to embrace it and try it and walk it out. Matter of fact, it is so successful, they say things like this. It is a pyramid. It is a scheme. It is a sham. Anybody making that much money is got to be illegal well do you think god would leave us with a model that would be dysfunctional and broken and not able to work i'm gonna move on on that because you don't like it but business says i'm gonna take god's model of multiplication and i'm gonna become millionaires yet the church has god's plan for multiplication and after 12 years of being in alexandria beating the streets of this city we're still 80 percent unchurched I'm not impressed by churches that are big, by churches that have a lot. I'm impressed whether we're taking the message to the streets. What ticked them off? Well, it says it right here. Right here it says in verse 26, they said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach this name? You are filling the streets of Jerusalem with this man's doctrine. I'm telling you today, you can go down any street in our city and you will see our streets filled with clever marketing slogans from churches. We've been there. We've done that. We've had the billboards. We've got the signs. We've got the t-shirts. We don't have the bumper stickers, but if somebody order them I'm sure you'll put it on your car but what we need more than signs and symbols we need the streets to be filled with the man's doctrine of Jesus Christ that is the only hope of glory can somebody just say amen in the house of God today (laughs) 
guys, you're filling the streets with hope. Do you not realize that's what we need more than anything? Cults have taken God's plan of going into all the world. Knocking on doors. How many of you have ever had a Mormon come to your door? How many of you ever had a Jehovah Witness? When's the last time you had a Baptist? When's the last time you had somebody of evangelical faith? Why are they doing it? Because business knows God's pattern for multiplication works. And cults know God's pattern for multiplication works. And they're the only ones that are growing. I'm just meddling here a little bit. We are the bride of Christ. We don't need a new strategy. We need an ancient one. That's filled with the power of God. Because nobody can stop a move of God. A move of God is coming. The question is, will we be part of it? Will we be part of it? Because it's not going to look like you think it should look. It's not going to feel like you probably think it would feel. It's not going to fit nice and neat like you want it to fit. Because God likes to color outside the lines. Now, I know that drives all of us, all of you, because I'm not one, a perfectionist crazy. But God is wanting to move. The question is, will we allow him to? How then shall we live? Obedience doesn't necessarily make your life easier. I want you to write that down. Just because you choose to obey God today, It's not going to make your life easy. These men obeyed and they were arrested. These men obeyed and God delivered them and posted bail for them with the angel of heaven. And they obeyed and they were still beaten with 39 licks. Obedience is not going to make your life easier. But the angel sent and led them through the horrible beating. One would think, one would think that this would discourage the disciples, but it had the other effect. It didn't sour them, but it created a crazy joy in their life that was not based on their beatings, but was based on their Savior. Obedience does not make life easy. But obeying Jesus will also cost you something. I want to ask you this question. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to be all in? I remember one time as a young kid, grew up around auctions and stuff, equipment auctions, cattle auctions, and there was this guy that was there, and he was trying to buy a bunch of cows. And somebody kept running up, running him up, running his price up, running it up, running it up, running it up. And so finally, this guy figured out who it was that was running up everything he was trying to buy. 
because we all have that, no matter how much money you have, you all have that line that we're not willing to cross. But he made this guy so mad that when he found out who he was, he just stood up. And every time that guy would bid something, he'd look at him right in the eye. And he'd run it up on him. And he said, I'm going to pay whatever the price is. I'm going to make sure he doesn't get it. Now, that probably wasn't the best business sense. But what he said was, I don't care. I am willing to pay the price. And he stood up and said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Obedience is not going to make your life easy. Obedience is not going to take away hardships. Obedience is not going to be free. It's going to cost you something. But it will provide a crazy joy in your life that is unspeakable and full of glory. Unspeakable and full of glory. Yes, being obedient and following the voice of God does not always make sense. It requires crazy trust that will lead you to do crazy, obedient things that will produce a crazy joy. And it is all unexplainable and full of glory. But this one fact is that nothing can stop a move of God. The problem is we just need the move of God. Let me prove to you that I'm not making this up. So they departed from the presence of the people who beat them with 39 licks. And they rejoiced that they were found worthy enough to suffer for Jesus. And they went daily in the temple and in every house. And they were a witness for Jesus. How much is too much? We were debating this as I was preparing for sermons. And said, you know, sometimes it's probably easier to make that one decision to die for him one time than to have to make a decision to live faithful for him every day even when it's costing you something. The problem is the church doesn't like persecution. I mean, think about it. One demon-driven woman when I was a child decided we don't need to pray in school anymore and churches sat back and said, well, that's okay. And then we get mad that we don't pray in church. I mean, pray in school when we don't pray in the home. Then we got mad because they won't let us hang the Ten Commandments, but then we don't hang them in our house. I mean, I've just been... I'm just... Nothing can stop a move of God. God's just looking for somebody to move in. Wouldn't it be terrible to miss that and not see him move?
today, every mainline religious denomination is in decline. Could it be that we're a little bit like these priests? That folks have grown so in love with the system. They love the system more than they love Jesus. I want to ask you a question today. Would you join me in praying for God to move? Would you join me in believing God to show us His power? Would you join me in helping fill our streets with the message of hope? Would you join me? See, we think we have to have a lot. But God only had 12 that He sent out. And those 12 reproduce themselves, and then they reproduce themselves up to 120 at the beginning of the book of Acts. And then by the end of the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 more that was added. And within the next two weeks, there was another 5,000 that was added. See, 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 you don't need much. See, see, we look at what we have, and we say, Lord, what is this with so many? That's what Philip said. I've only got, Lord, I found, I found a few fish and a couple of naughty biscuits, but what are they with so many? And Jesus said, hey, Philip, just put it in my hand, and you go tell the people to sit in groups of 50. See, we look at what we have. We look at the, we look at the 80%. We look at the 80,000 people who don't have a relationship with Christ. We look at the drug turmoil. We look at the dysfunctional home. We look at the, the fatherless and motherless children, and we look at the despair, and we look at the failing schools, and we look at all that's happening in our city, and we look at the death in the streets, and we look at the craziness in the legislator and we look at the dysfunction in government and we look at we look at statements that people are making like I just hope my whole country fails so that we can get rid of this one leader and we look at all that stuff and we say where is the answer and God is looking to us saying you are my children you are the sheep of my pasture you are my bride you are the one that I love. You are the one that I died for. You are the one that I want to present to me as a bride without blemish in your wedding garment. You are the one. You are the one. He doesn't want to use. Right, guys, guys, listen. All the king's horses, all the king's men will never be able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But God, but God can pick up the broken pieces. But God can pick it up, shattered dreams. God can move with His power, with His glory, with His might. Would you join me in saying, God, let me be part of it. Father, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name.